0: The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor. Doctor.
1: Doctor. 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 Doctor.
2: You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Good morning, everyone. I'm Steve Cashel. Welcome to another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Soon I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole. He's the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush University Medical Center. Got a great show for you lined up. And uh, our first guest is going to be the founder of a new wearable technology, BioStrap. Samir Santaki will join us from Los Angeles. It's the future of wearable sensor data. And uh, he'll talk about uh, the future of BioStrap and uh, also how he got involved with this and why it's different than uh, typical uh, usable, wearable technology. And then there's some misconceptions about stem cell therapy out there. Dr. Cole will give us his views and tell our listeners what to look out for and how to be aware of some of the uh, so-called snake oil salesmen out there trying to sell stem cell therapy. And then finally, Dr. John Polowski will join us. He's a surgical director and chief of pediatric orthopedics at Children's Health Andrews Institute for Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, talking about the challenges of treating pediatric patients in orthopedics and sports medicine. We'll talk about growth plates and all the interesting things about your kids. So stay with us. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Back to get it going right after this on ESPN Radio.
3: videos and other surprises you will absolutely love this program sign up at 14daytransformation.com that's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit karen's website at karenmalkin.com. that's k-a-r-e-n-m-a-l-k-i-n.com
2: you're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly, our producer Steve Goffman, our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. Reminder to reach out to us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at SMWHome. Dr. Cole, let's talk a little bit about um, working out and uh, the new science of wearable technology. Do you use any? I mean, you know you work out. You know,
0: the only thing that I use on occasion is the heart rate monitor. That's it. You know, I, there's so much amazing technology now that gives information and data. Obviously, this sort of Fitbit concept that you know ranges from what you wear on a wrist to what you can put in your shoe, and people respond to that data. Uh, so there's just been a, a huge explosion in technology in this space. But me, I'm pretty limited and really basic
2: you think we're uh, not that far away from putting a chip in the neck and uh, <laughs> measuring data under, that under way? Under the skin? Yeah. I, I
0: don't think we are, to be honest with you. I think there's probably lots of things that could be monitored by something in place permanently or,
2: you know, that would occasionally need to be checked. Maybe we'll start with the professional athletes, right? There's some very similar stuff. Not you got to get it planted, but get into the, CBA, like the collective bargaining agreement right. first. Let's bring on our next guest. He is the founder of BioStrap. Speaking of uh, wearable uh, technology and the future of wearable sensor data samir santake is with us and uh, samir thanks so much for for joining us he's joining us from los angeles this morning so uh, thanks for getting up with us and uh what makes uh, your product uh, biostrap different from other wearables
1: hey nice to meet you and thanks thanks for having me um so actually there's i think there's two distinct factors that i can think of it's really our full body activity classification and the deep biometric insights um, and what that means is so the biometric data typically what your Fitbits of the world what they do is beat counting, which is good overall just to know okay, I'm like 56 you know beats per minute. That's that's good, but we want to get more data. There's so much data embedded in that you know that pulse wave. We can actually grab 29 different physiological parameters just from that like there's heart rate variability, blood oxygen saturation, respiratory rate, things like that actually are more toward your total health. These are things that you should be tracking, but the typical, uh, you know, wearables just don't look at that information. And uh, you know, I think that, I think they're really missing out. Um, so, so, so one, is one this biom-
0: so? This is a strap that is will monitor a bunch of different bodily or physiologic functions, and then does it do a sort of a smartphone type reporting function?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so there's a smart uh, there's a smartphone component which does kind of the brains of the matter. Um, and then there's two wearable components, the one that goes on your wrist and then one on your foot. So really there's two different sensors um, that work in synchronous uh, fashion that kind of give you more sensor data, you know, one that's mov- measuring your arm movement, one that's measuring your feet, and kind of putting it together to understand what that activity that you're doing uh, and classifying that. Like let's say I'm doing a pull-up or doing leg press or whatever exercise or movement you want to do, it will be able to track that and two different, you know, sensor points in your body.
2: Samir Santaki is with us, uh, BioStrap. He is the founder, uh, joining us from uh, Southern California. Where do you see the future uh, of this product, uh, Samir?
1: Yeah, so honestly, so right now what we do is uh, we want to be able to put more sensors on your body. I think that's where we are, um, like what you were mentioning with the chip on your neck. I, I mean, that's, that's uh, not too far off either, I don't think so. Um, uh, I envision putting more you know people want to know more about their bodies. I think we're going to have more you know more things more sensors on your body to track more data um and eventually, I actually see this being used in more of a clinical setting to maybe do some uh detection of maybe a sleep apnea aphid heart heart arrhythmias, these kind of things' much more uh you know things that you know are wearables you can you can get that information you know from all these if you do you know these these biometric insights um that's really where I think I think where Biostrap actually can be headed. Um, of course, that needs more uh, you know, FDA approval, but I think we can actually see this in our data.
0: So, uh, so how do you how do you teach sort of the average individual that say has a high interest in health and wellness? But, mm-hmm. you know, I can't imagine all these data points, these 20-plus data points, are going to be interesting or even understandable by most. Exactly and then you have not. to have norms yeah. or, you know, you have to have norms by age and gender and things like that. So I, I guess my the, the place that I always struggle with is how much is too much information, and what can be really used by someone. What do you think sort of the top five most valuable data points that an the average individual is really into health and fitness and who exercise on a pretty mm-hmm. regular basis, who combines some type of aerobic with, you know, a strengthening program, yeah. would find a value that you can't get you, know, in, that mean, you I, can't get anywhere else.
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think knowing just I can name a couple is so resting heart rate is actually really important. I think more so than active heart rate. Uh, this tells you how you know how physically fit your heart rate heart is, uh, and resting heart rate is basically what your heart is when you're sleeping. Um, and then the next one is HRV, which is heart rate variability. Um, this is actually not terribly new. I think it's been used before, uh, you know, the last few years, um, and and currently it's kind of being re- reused for basically indicator of stress. Um, and actually, it's it's definitely definitely even used in a sport uh, sports field too. And, and specifically, um, if you're overtraining, you can actually see your HRV drop. And and when you when it's dropping, that just means that your uh, your nervous system needs needs a rest and needs to kind of balance out. Um, I mean, a lot of people use HRV for a lot of different, um, you know, things like this. And, and it's actually, I think, probably the most important thing to track. And uh, all it is is really the, the time difference between uh, two different part-wave pulses, uh, the time difference between them. Um, so that's, that's extremely important. And then the next one probably, like, just respiratory rate, I think. That's basically how many breaths per minute you take. Um, the average person takes, like, 15 breaths per minute. It's good to know this because um, that also correlates with stress, too, uh, uh, your breathing rate and your stress rate you know, pretty much very much uh, you know, uh, related. Just um, knowing having just knowing about this can actually help you better manage stress. I think if I can see it in my physiological parameters that hey, uh, looking it looks like my body's taking a beating today, I need to kind of cool down and relax. Uh, I, I think that's powerful.
2: And Samir, a final question before we let you go. Um, sounds like so you you haven't launched the BioStrap Strap yet, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah, we're still working hard to make the release date, which is going to be uh, mid December. Okay. So not too far.
2: And how much will it be?
1: Yeah, it's going to be over two forty nine. Uh, and it comes with the whole set, you know, the shoot clip, the wristband, and a couple extra bands. And and uh, we're really excited to try to launch this.
2: Fantastic, Biostrap.com, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com is the website. At Biostrap is the uh, Twitter handle. So, Samir, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank Samir you so Samir Santike from Biostrap out of L.A. And good, good luck with the product. It's always interesting to hear new things here on Sports Medicine Weekly.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Cole. Thanks for having me.
2: You got it. Back with more with Dr. Cole after this.
1: I'd been having knee
4: pain for quite some time and did what, Probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance and scheduled me right away. No way, everything was so easy. And the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget.
0: To learn more
4: about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors, regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, or even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art healthcare services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis, methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News and World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-Bones. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the
0: best will do. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000.
2: Welcome back to Sports Medicine Weekly. Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole with you. And Dr. Cole, a study was done recently finding that at least 350 companies are marketing unapproved stem cell treatments aimed at everything from facelifts to Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. I mean, uh, unapproved stem cell procedures at more than 570 U.S. clinics. Yeah. What's going I mean, on? You
0: know, we, we've, we've had a number of episodes on this, and you know that I always take a very, not a nihilistic approach, but a very realistic approach as to what stem cell and regenerative medicine really means. And it's said that the United States now has the highest um, volume of stem cell tourism in the world. And, I mean, that's because there is a, a portion of the stem cell world that is very unregulated. Uh, stem cells are cells that have the ability to produce growth factors, to reduce inflammation and things like that, and can be particularly helpful. And they've been looked at everything from treating Alzheimer's and Parkinson's to uh, leukemias and pediatric cancers, and we've used it in orthopedics in uh, as an augmentation for rotator cuff repairs and cartilage surgery and even treating osteoarthritis. And the reality is that there's a whole category that, uh, is, is not particularly regulated by the FDA because it's minimally manipulated tissue. In other words, we can concentrate stem cells, for example, from bone marrow, and the FDA doesn't have oversight. We can take stem cells uh, from fat by just mechanically uh, spinning it down on a centrifuge and then reinject it in various areas. And it, it, technically, because it has no formal labeling, you can't make claims. But the challenge is that there are unfortunately clinics and you can go online and find these clinics, and they exist in Chicago uh, as well as around the country that uh, have, uh, we'll say, specific claims that uh, that can be particularly misleading. Uh, it's it's rare. I would say it's rarely dangerous, but. The bigger challenge is it's often either ineffective or it doesn't meet the expectations of a patient. I mean, I get a number of patients say, "Look, I saw Doctor So and So who said that if I do this, I can prevent my the need for knee replacement, or I can cure my Parkinson's disease, or do something that's really quite profound." That honestly, there's not a shred of scientific literature that, to support that contention. So I can tell you that our efforts have really been towards research because there's so much misperception and misunderstanding. And and in the bottom line is there's 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 it's it's sort of buyer beware.
2: And these companies. Companies and clinics are charging a lot of money for these procedures, right? Yeah, I've seen
0: numbers that range between five and twenty thousand dollars. Wow! I've had you know patients who are traveling abroad and they do it. You'll see it in uh, uh, you know countries in the Caribbean and so forth to try to skirt some of the FDA issues. Uh, so I, I would say that you know so, the, from a patient's perspective. You should ask the hard questions. You, sh- you should ask if data exists to support this. Talk about what the potential side effects are. Uh, what to? It's really all about expectations. And as a patient, you have a responsibility to ask the difficult questions, especially about efficacy. You know, what should I expect in terms of outcome? Will it meet the? the, the will it solve the problem that I would like to solve? Um, what will it cost and what are the potential side effects and and really what's the literature, the scientific evidence to support uh, what uh, a specific individual is recommending. I really encourage patients to do that with this and virtually any other treatment. I think that's where they have to take this kind of responsibility in their own hands.
2: Dr. Cole and Steve Cashel with you. Uh, how often do you use it?
0: So we're using a bone marrow aspirate, and then we spin it down on a centrifuge, we're doing it in clinical study now. I will occasionally use it on—I uh, will often use it on our professional athletes, as there's probably no downside, and and there may be a significant upside. and uh, But there's a cost, and it's not trivial. Uh, although it's not astronomical. Our costs are around the $2,000, $2,500 range, not in the five dollars to $10,000 range. But the reality is we tell every patient that this is used as an adjunct typically to a surgical procedure to hopefully improve the outcome or to reduce inflammation that's associated with arthritis as a temporizing measure, not to cure someone of disease, but to actually reduce the symptoms that come about due to arthritis for some period of time. And it's another alternative to very traditional treatment like cortisone injections and lubricant injections. So we always lay out the entire landscape, and from my perspective, I start with the things that are covered by insurance, that are safe, that are uh, inexpensive, and then we sort of walk along the lines to things that I would consider investigational.
2: How about the success rate with your athletes and your everyday patients? I
0: think it's impossible to say. I mean, there is not – if you look at the arthritis – Everybody's different then. Well, everybody's different in terms of how they will respond and what kind of stem cells they they produce and so forth. Uh, But at this juncture, we're studying it in a randomized double-blind study looking at rotator cuff repair. We're studying it in patients who have osteoarthritis of the knee and meniscal tears to see if they can fare better with a, uh, a, a an injection of a stem cell. Uh, but you know, the reality is, Steve, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot more clinical utilization or uh, adoption than there is research supporting its use. And that's the problem whenever you're dealing with an unregulated space or a space where people are potentially pushing the envelope. So I've been speaking a lot about this over the last year or so because I have to spend much of my day re-educating patients because of misperceptions.
2: Absolutely. So it's kind of a fun science, though, going forward, right? I mean, it's the absolutely, It's extremely
0: exciting. And, you know, when you look at, like, we have a uh, doctor at Rush, uh, Dr. Richard Fessler, who's doing some work in cervical spine injuries and trying to regenerate just one level of function. If you can get one level of function, it could be the, it, the 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 difference between using your hands and feeding yourself and being completely 100% dependent on someone. So there's diseases which... You're talking about paralysis? Yeah, paralysis. So so there are injury states that this would be just absolutely, in a mind-blowing way, life-altering. Uh, But, you know, that doesn't shrink or devalue the potential application for someone who has symptomatic arthritis. If we had an alternative to some of these other treatments that actually stop working for a number of patients where we can use an inexpensive stem cell therapy, that, too, is a very viable option. So I just think as clinicians, we have a responsibility to do things that are evidence-based, and when it's not evidence-based, to make sure our patients are fully informed of, of the current status.
2: And Dr. Cole, speaking of uh, stem cell research, how can uh, people, our listeners, learn more about uh, the research at Rush?
0: Patients who have interest in regenerative medicine can go to the Rush ortho.com website or Brian Cole, MD.com website and go onto the clinical trial section. And we have a number of trials ongoing right now that really the primary effort is to validate uh, stem cell procedures.
2: Alright, back with more of our show right after these messages. On ESPN
0: Radio. Returning patients who suffer from cartilage defects to an active lifestyle
4: is the goal. Prochondrix, the latest solution from Atlasource, is an innovative cost-effective fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore life. To learn more about Prochondrix or allographs, visit That's prochondrix.org. That's P R O C H O N D R I X.org.
2: You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. To access prior shows, interviews, and valuable resources on sports injury and fitness, please visit our blog at smwhome.net or sportsmedicineweekly.com. Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole with you each and every Saturday morning here on ESPN Radio. And uh, Dr. Cole, time to talk a little bit about the um, pediatric patients. Uh, Do you see injuries in uh, some of the young kids? We do,
0: Steve. I mean, it's a a relatively unique specialty. And in fact, uh, at Midwest Orthopedics, we do have a specialist, Monica Kogan, in pediatric medicine uh, and orthopedics. But um, uh, it's specialized in that You know, these are kids typically, their growth plates are open, they have growth remaining, but even more important, they get problems that are very unique to a young person who's also quite active that we typically wouldn't see in an adult population. And the decision-making sometimes can be very different. But honestly, it's one of my favorite uh, populations. I don't know if you knew. I mean, when I went into medicine, I initially wanted to go into pediatrics in general, just general pediatrics, and um, sort of evolved towards orthopedics. But I love taking care of the younger population because, honestly, there's no agenda. They generally just want to get well. And uh, it, they're, it's one of the uh, the most ambitious groups of young people that I deal with, and especially because they're often dealing in multiple sports, and they just want to be active. And and um, if you think they listen to you when they're better to take it easy, they don't, which is also kind of well, comical right? at times. <laughs> uh, and and plus, it's also the challenge of dealing with the family, which I also enjoy. You know, it's not just the, the young person, but it's also the parents and to see that that dichotomy of how the parents may have a different perception of the problem versus how the kid does. And working uh, with that challenge is probably one of the more interesting office visits of the day.
2: Then you get some fun questions, right? Oh, oh, they're awesome. Yeah.
1: And they,
0: and they're very often very impressionable. I mean, that's like, I've had a number of young people who ended up uh, coming to visit and stay in the office and see surgery and things like that, just because once they've had an injury and been treated, they see what an impact it has in their life. They all of a sudden they have an interest in medicine.
2: Well, to continue the conversation here about pediatric orthopedics is the Surgical Director and Chief of Pediatric Orthopedics at the Children's Health Andrews Institute for Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Dallas, Texas, Dr. John polowski Dr. John, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, what are some of the challenges you face when treating pediatric patients in the orthopedics and uh, sports medicine?
5: Well, thank you for having me. Uh, a lot of it's like Exactly to reiterate what Brian just said, um, challenges with the parents, with, uh, you know, with the teams. And, you know, we see a lot of is overuse. I mean, there's there's a huge problem in overuse with the early specialization with with these pediatric athletes that all of a sudden seem to become professionals when they're about eight or 10 years old. And that's really leading to this this huge uh, increase in. Overuse injuries and even acute injuries like ACL injuries. And in addition to that, there, as Brian said, there, there are significant challenges related to the growing skeleton and growth plates and some of the adult style operations that we would normally use to fix some of the ligament injuries are, are not. Uh, are not necessarily the best uh, ways to treat the p- pediatric patients,
0: John. You know, we talk a lot about some new advancements in, say, regenerative medicine and uh, ligament reconstruction and so forth. I mean, what are what do you see as some of the opportunities for advancements in when it comes to pediatric orthopedics?
5: Well, obviously, that's that's a great question. They, the everybody's into biologics these days, and how do we use stem cells and other types of cells to to treat uh, you know adults and regenerate some of these tissues? And I think the same is true really in children. There's a lot of specific pediatric diseases. We see one called osteochondritis desiccans which is a, a cartilage disease in, in children where the cartilage degenerates very early. And um, we're currently using a lot of cellular-based treatments and, and, um, and tissue-based treatments to treat that rather than, you know, just, uh, you know, the old-fashioned screws and fixing it with, you know, plates and screws and but it's more traditional orthopedic treatments.
2: Visiting again with Dr. John Pawlowski, Surgical Director and Chief of Pediatric Orthopedics at Children's Health Andrews Institute for Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. I'm Steve Cashel with uh, Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. You're actively involved, uh, Doc, in, in research. Can you tell us about some of the research you're, you're working on now and uh, how it can benefit patients in the, in the near future?
5: Yeah, the pediatric world is just ripe for... Pretty much just about anything you can you can think of in terms of injury and one of the things that we're really heavily involved with with, with multiple institutions across the country is research on pediatric cartilage disease and we, we have a, a consortium of, of high volume pediatric institutions that has basically pooled these patients together with these more rare cartilage diseases really to see how they do in the near term with you know early treatment and how they fare over the long term over the next 10 to 20 years because obviously what we want is we wanted the best treatment to turn that active young child into a, a, a healthy, productive, active, uh, adult.
2: You know, both of you have, have brought up growth plates and, you know, Dr. Cole and Dr. Poloski, you know, growing up, um, boy, I remember I, I had a couple injuries in sports and I never heard about growth plates. I mean, can you guys educate us a little bit and tell the parents, cause I'm a parent, obviously, and two boys, very active in sports. And, you know, uh, one of my little guys just had a little foot injury, and they talked about growth plates. And can you talk, educate us a little bit about growth plates, and, and when do the growth plates finally uh, shut down, so to speak? I mean, and, and you know, why, yeah. why all the conversation? It's nothing yeah, John, new, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, no, certainly go into that. And also tell tell our listeners, you know, because one of the most common things we get is, look, how many feet tall is my son going to be when he play? so that he's going to be good at basketball? We get that a lot in our younger patients, and, you know, just give us a little lesson on that.
5: Sure. That's, that's, that's always the big question that we get is every every athlete, how much, you know, is he going to be seven feet tall or, or, or whatever? But uh, yeah, the growth plate is a, it's a much talked about, but I think poorly understood uh, feature of the pediatric skeleton, but it's basically a, a cartilage plate. It's a cartilage area in the bone uh, where the bone becomes longer so that our, our all of our bones start as uh, big blobs of cartilage and that cartilage then calcifies and turns into bone. So it's the expansion of that. Uh, of that cartilage area in the bone, usually at the ends of the bones, that makes the bone longer over time. And and so that can be injured, and obviously if it's injured, it, it doesn't grow as well, and it can create deformities of the bone, which which are a big consideration when you're, uh, say, reconstructing in, uh, an ACL, uh, where you traditionally in adult surgery you drill across that growth plate, which can potentially injure it. And that's really important in these adolescent athletes Girls, the growth plate usually closes around age fourteen. That's when their skeletons are, on average, done growing. And in males, it's about two years later. It's about sixteen, and that's those are the times you really have to be concerned about these growth plates.
2: Interesting
0: stuff. And, and tell me a little bit about you know I know that you are uh, also actively involved in uh, treating a developmental condition, for osteochondritis dissecans, which is a problem in the bone and cartilage that we often see in young people. Um, and are you using uh, tissue transplantation in that arena, um, such as cartilage grafts, for your young patients? And, you know, what's your primary indication for it?
5: Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is really one of the best populations when you look at the research that's been done with osteochondral allografts. So taking fresh cartilage uh, from a donor uh, and implanting it in a recipient for a, for a basically a full thickness cartilage defect. So essentially a crater that's developed in the bone where there is no cartilage. We know those in, in young people; those do very poorly over time, and lead to very early degenerative conditions like arthritis. And and probably because these patients tend to have no other problems in their knees, their ligaments are good, everything else in their knee is good. Uh, they're 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 the best candidates for the best long term results with transplanted uh, fresh tissue and cartilage.
2: And the final question, uh, doc. Um... Talk a little bit about limb deformity and uh, limb lengthening, and you've been involved with that in your past as well, correct?
5: Yes, there's a lot of exciting technology with that as well. Um, and that going back to the growth plate question, that really is those limb deformities are really due to dysfunctions in the growth plate. So uh, if a growth plate is not functioning properly, it can cause the the bone to grow crooked, uh, and you know with an angle that is is. Uh, bad for the joints, and uh, if it completely shuts down, then it just leads to one limb that's that's shorter than the other. And um, there's there's a lot of new technology. Traditional lengthening methods uh, of stretching the bone out with fixators and these sort of medieval-looking devices has now given way to uh, rods that you can actually put inside the bone and uh, with small microscopic motors um, lengthen the bone from inside, which is wow. which is very exciting. So that world is really advancing rapidly as well.
0: What's your uh, go-to ACL reconstruction graft for a skeletal immature uh, uh, athlete?
5: Uh, it's, it's somewhat age-dependent, but I typically will use a hamstring uh, if they're getting close to skeletal maturity. If they're really young, we'll use some of the IT band procedures. Got it.
0: Well, thanks. We have not uh, had this topic on before, and it, it's really helpful, and we really appreciate you taking the time this morning.
2: Thank you, Dr. John Pulowski. Really pre- appreciate all your help. Oh, thank you for having me. Alrighty, he's the Surgical Director, Chief of Pediatric Orthopedics at Children's Health Andrews Institute for Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after these messages. On ESPN Radio. The Chicago Bulls, White Sox,
3: and DePaul Blue Demons rely on Midwest Orthopedics at Rush for advanced orthopedic treatment. So can you. We are the team physicians for these Chicago teams, and we're ready to be on your healthcare team, too. Get expert care from these regional leaders at four Chicagoland locations. Learn more at RushOrtho.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, your world-class team physicians. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole
2: on ESPN 1000. As we say goodbye, I want to take- Take a minute to thank all of our listeners and sponsors for yet another great season of Sports Medicine Weekly. As we conclude Season 6, we hope all of you will continue to catch up and enjoy all of our Sports Medicine Weekly episodes this season and seasons past by downloading our podcast site. It's never been easier. Just visit our podcast player at smwhome.net where you can listen and download the app directly to your smartphone device. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000.